KUCI, Irvine. Coming up shortly, what would Arwen do? This portion of KUCI programming is sponsored by the Southern California University of Health Sciences, which incorporates the Los Angeles College of Chiropractic, the College of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine, the School of Massage Therapy, and the Ayurvedic Medicine Program. Southern California University of Health Sciences is accredited by the Western Association of Schools and Colleges, the Accreditation Commission for Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine, and the Council on Chiropractic Education. More information is available at www.scuhs.edu or at 877-434-7757. That's Southern California University of Health Sciences, helping to keep KUCI on the air. Get ready to get out of Irvine and go abroad. On Thursday, October 14th, the UCI Center for International Education hosts its annual Go Abroad Fair on Ring Road in front of the UCI Student Center. At this resource fair, you can visit over 40 provider booths to learn about the wide variety of opportunities to study, work, volunteer, teach, and or research abroad. You can literally go anywhere in the world. You could study art history in Italy. You might work as an au pair in Greece. You can teach English in Japan. You could research the formation of the Caribbean islands in Barbados. You might even intern at a marketing firm in Korea. The possibilities are endless. Discover where you will go at the Go Abroad Fair on Thursday, October 14th. Visit www.cie.uci.edu for more details. See you there. This is KUCI Irvine. You are listening to What Would Arwen Do? Here on the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. KUCI Irvine, the voice of the University of California at Irvine. Well, you might be wondering, what is this show all about? If a Middle Earth elf lived today in Orange County, what might her life look like? How would she celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? In other words, what would Arwen do? Some ask, what would Jesus do? Which is a very good question. But on this program, I ask, we ask, what would Arwen do? Arwen was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves and lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing, lore, and wisdom. Hmm, perhaps not unlike the community here at UC Irvine. Arwen was also a beloved daughter of the universe, as are all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth, or in Elvish, Arda. I believe Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige. With great privilege comes responsibility. She embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light through her courage, wisdom, beauty, her sense of humor, and service to others. In Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Colin Durias writes, In his invented mythology of Middle-Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves, dwarves, hobbits, and the like partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created word. World. I believe, we believe, this elven quality exists in every person and yearns for expression through the gifts of creativity, nobility, and service. 
So, having the incredible privilege of having a public affairs program here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, and being friends with an elf here in beautiful Orange County, right here in the Middle Earth campus of UCI, when things arise that I want to think more deeply about, I like to ask my elf friend, Tanin Shunuvil, the question, what would Arwen do? This is Milo Lomsdown at your service. And with me today, as always, is my elf friend, Tani Tanuviel, the resident KUCI elf. Good afternoon, Tani. My govanen, my friend. Oh, my gosh. I should say, if it isn't obvious already, that I am a hobbit. That is, <laughs> uh, Milo is fond of having five or six little meals a day and fond of basically just staying in the beautiful green of the Shire called Orange County, California. Loving the simple things of life. Oh my gosh, do you know we have a wonderful program today for our listeners. And we should say, we should give our shout-outs mm. now to friends that are listening live over the airwaves. Mm-hmm. KUCI-FM has been broadcasting for over 40 years now at 88.9 FM, Irvine. Also, listening live might be and are, we know, many people at KUCI.org. We stream live 24 by 7 alternative radio in both the Windows Media Player as well as the Real Player formats. And the Internet is such a wonderful way that we stay connected. It's kind of like the palantiri, the seeing stones in the Lord of the Rings. Absolutely. It's all connected with those that we want to stay in touch with. Well, um, we should also say hello to people who are not listening live because you can actually download our podcast at KUCITalk.org. Just click on What Would Arwen Do? Or you can go to the iTunes store and look at Arwen. You search on Arwen in the iTunes music store. And actually, it's much more than a music store now. You can get university courses and many things from iTunes mm-hmm. absolutely free. Search for the word Arwen, A-R-W-E-N, and you'll see the KUCI logo next to the show name, What Would Arwen Do? And our podcasts are there as well. And we've been doing, well, I've been doing the show now for five years, a little over five years. You've been with me for over a year. It has been such a delight to have a hobbit come on board for, because I think we both have different things that we are, our general strengths with regards to our passion for Middle Earth. I love that you have this fantastic film background and also that you just know how to find all of these tidbits because we lovers of Middle Earth are so excited that hopefully within just the next couple of years we will be seeing The Hobbit brought to the big screen just as we were so delighted to see The Lord of the Rings. That's right. Warner Brothers several months ago told their distributors and exhibitors that they would be distributing the film in December 2012. Mm -hmm. And at this point we are still on track and We will get into some movie news later, Elf Princess, but right now I have a few news items. There are things that I just wanted to mention. We have a very exciting show today. We are going to be interviewing Nathan McCarrick of the Maverick Theater, who did that wonderful production of The Hobbit on stage in Fullerton. Today is October the 12th, 2010, and as you know, Elf Princess, we hobbits can use our pint once in a while. (laughs) And the great beer-drinking tradition of Oktoberfest goes back exactly 200 years ago to this day in 1810. Exactly 200 years ago today, the crown prince of Bavaria, who would become Ludwig I, was getting married to Princess Teresa of Saxony. The newlywed royal couple decided that they wanted to invite the whole town of Munich along to celebrate at their wedding festivities, which included a horse race on the fields in front of the city gate and lots and lots of beer. Well, all the Bavarians had such a good time, the decision was made to have a similar party the next year, and then again and again and again, and it became a tradition. These days, Oktoberfest in Bavaria starts in September and goes for about two weeks. Approximately six million people now show up to consume 
one million gallons of beer <laughs> in Bavaria. They must surely be some hobbits over there because that sounds just like a hobbit birthday party. Because if anyone knows about the, the traditions of hobbit birthdays, and one, this is one of the things that I fell so in love with about the hobbits and adopted as one of my own personal traditions is that on uh, hobbits, on their birthdays, rather than people bringing them presents, they throw a party and give all of their guests presents. And Absolutely. so they give guests on That's their birthdays. Right. And they and we know from the movie that when uh, Bilbo uh, planned his um, 111st birthday, that he had invited the whole town <laughs> and even part of the surrounding area. So uh, that sounds like it. I think the Hobbits would have loved the idea of Oktoberfest. One more reason to invite everyone and uh, dance and drink ale. Oh, my gosh, there's so much to discuss. Well, we are going to be talking about many, many things today. I did want to, before we get into the main meat of today, which is Nate McCarrick and Mm -hmm. and many questions, a couple of quick notices. Um, The Social Network is a movie. You were talking about how the Internet brings us all together and holds us together, much like the Palantiri. Mm -hmm. One of the big factors for the last five years has been Facebook, Facebook Mm -hmm. Facebook.com, and started by Mark Zuckerberg whose nickname is Zook. And there's a new movie out by David Fincher, and Oh, Elf Princesses is beautiful to behold. Mm. It has great photography, beautiful music, great editing, and wonderful, wonderful acting. And what's the title again? The Social Network. The, the Social Social Network. Is this an indie film? Would it be about, uh, probably it's a art, major release from a major so studio. It's in the major, it's in the major, major release, yes. Oh, okay. Major release. Hmm. Major, major release. The Social Network. By David Fincher, and just uh, just wonderful, wonderful acting. Uh, um, Justin Timberlake does a wonderful turn as a as a venture capitalist. Uh, no singing, just acting by him, and he's quite good, very impressive, and very authentic. Mm. The other thing I wanted to mention for our audience is Das Rheingold is the first opera of the Ring of the Nibelungen, another massive work of art. That a work of has music to do and with rings. <laughs> has to do with rings and has to do with a very magic ring. Mm-hmm. Well, the Metropolitan Opera was live in high definition at many movie theaters. I saw it at Bellaterra in Huntington Beach, and it's just a wonderful new production. Brand new production this year, very uh, concrete and yet abstract at the same time. Highly mm. beautiful, very very beautiful. So, uh, is that still playing? Well, it'll be repeated in a couple of weeks. You can go to metopera.org, metopera.org, and it'll give you the replay. Of course, the replay won't be live. Right. Saturday, I saw it live. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) When it was 10 a.m. in Huntington Beach, it was 1 p.m. at the Metropolitan Opera House in Lincoln's center of New York City, and it was live, and it was beautiful to behold and gorgeous to listen to. Bryn Terfel was the Votan, and he was excellent. So... Speaking of music, there is a wonderful, wonderful new book out, and we're going to use this to segue into our guest, A Comprehensive Account of Howard Shore's Scores. The book title is The Music of the Lord of the Rings Films by musicologist Doug Adams. I'm so jealous I need to get my hands on a copy of this. And bound in the back of this book is a wonderful CD called The Lord of the Rings, The Rarities Archive which includes Mm. mock-ups of many of the tunes, and we're going to listen to one of those. A mock-up for our audience Mm -hmm. is when the composer throws together a little something. In this case, it's on a synthesizer. Mm -hmm. We're going to listen to two pieces. We are going to listen to the mock-up for the Hobbit music, which actually was the first music that Howard Shore composed for The Lord of the Rings. Now, this would have been something, too, that he would have composed, and he would have... Uh, shown this or you know played this for Peter Jackson, right? So would he have yes. seen some scenes so far, um, or would he have had any any um, visual, or he w- would he have just had where Peter Jackson shared his vision for it? But would he have been able to have seen any part of it? Right, he would have at this point in time. I believe all that Howard Shore would have seen would be the drawings and the script. Ah, he would have known the script. He would have wow. seen the drawings. But he wouldn't have had, I think, any completed film stock. Okay. But I must admit, I just got the ah, book yesterday yes. from Amazon.com. They, I pre-ordered it, as I said last week on our program, 
And so I haven't had a chance to read the book. I'm yes. going to spend the rest of this week reading it, and, and hopefully early in November we will have a program exclusively yes. dedicated to the music of The Lord of the Rings. But we're going to have a, a caller in, Nate McCarrick, mm-hmm. and when he calls in, uh, we will put him on. But we're going to start with the Rarities Archive, the original Hobbit music mock-up, and then we're going to go to the Fellowship of the Ring original mo- motion picture soundtrack and listen to the finished score. KUCI Irvine. the mock-up for the Hobbit music, the first music that Howard Shore wrote for The Lord of the Rings, done purely on Synclavier, the music synthesizer, and was uh, performed by Howard Shore on synthesizer for Mm -hmm. Peter Jackson to listen to and approve. It was amazing. Um, Well, we'll see in just a few moments not, uh, you know, what the transition was, but that was... That was beautiful. It was the synthesizer. Synthesizer. Let's now listen to the actual original soundtrack recording. Here it goes. Absolutely enchanting. Is that not the most incredible thing? That is Concerning Hobbits from the original soundtrack of The Fellowship of the Ring, the first film of the Lord of the Rings trilogy by Peter Jackson. But even more exciting than that, Elf Princess, we have Nathan (laughs) McCarrick, the co-founder of Maverick Theater. And let's see if we can pot him up here. Nate, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Fabulously well. Welcome. (laughs) Hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm Tani Genuviel, the uh, ELF co-host here on What Would Armin Do? (laughs) And I am so excited. I wish only that I would have had the opportunity to come and uh, see this amazing production. I have heard so many raves about it, but I'm so grateful that you would come on today and talk to us about your experience in bringing The Hobbit to the theater. Well, absolutely. I'm flattered that you would have me. (laughs) And I saw it in person, Elf Princess, I wouldn't take no for an answer. They said sold out, sold out, <laughs> sold out. But I said there's got to be cancellations, so I drove up an hour early. I arrived an hour early for a Saturday afternoon matinee, and they actually did have a cancellation, and I was able to see it, and it was very, very good. It was really good beyond hope, given um, we're not allowed to mention prices, but it was, shall I say, one of the most reasonably priced <laughs> afternoons in my in my life as far as quality entertainment. Well, well thank you. <laughs> Nate, we have so much to talk about. We want to get into the meat of it. Um, this is uh, Nathan McCarrick. Uh, he is a co-owner, theater manager, co-founder, I guess, of the mm-hmm. Maverick Theater. Uh, per your LinkedIn profile, we see... <laughs> yes. We see that uh, you've been involved with that from January 2005 to the present, and you actually have your bachelor's from, guess where, Tani, from UCI, University oh, of California at Irvine, graduated that? in drama with honors in acting, with honors. He graduated with honors. <laughs> that's correct. Nate, how did you get into theater? Um, that's a good question. I, uh, I, I got in 
fairly early uh, in elementary school. I, I know I started doing the school plays, and then in junior high, I remember that I, I broke my arm and uh, was dropped out of PE, and so they had to give me a, a new elective, and I ended up uh, taking theater. And then I just started doing more plays and just kept with it through high school and then decided to uh, pursue it for a career for college. So I guess I just started so early on that it's been a while since I've done anything else. You um, you are, as, as I have mentioned before, the, the director and many other things on The Hobbit production, but I'm curious, how did you first personally get involved with Tolkien? Did you read the books? Did you see the movies? What was oh, your absolutely. earliest involvement with Tolkien? I, I, I for sure read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings when I was when I was young. Um, in, if not elementary school, then I'm sure I was reading them in uh, in junior high as well. Um, I was uh, you know I was big into, into science fiction and fantasy back then, and uh, and still am. I'm <laughs> still happily. Uh, uh, saying I can uh, enjoy all that. Um, uh, I had not uh, read them, though, for probably at least a decade before this project came along. And actually, I would say, actually, I'm sorry, I would say I hadn't read them for about a decade before the movies came out. So even when the movies came, uh, I didn't necessarily even remember enough of the plots to know what they had cut, what they hadn't cut, so I could just be whisked away by the movies. And those were just some of the most amazing movie-making we had seen in such a long time. Uh, I remember I saw the first Fellowship of the Ring at midnight showing, and, you know, it goes till 3.45, 4 in the morning, and we're still just sitting there wanting desperately for the next one right now. So um, <laughs> that was, that was, I mean, it was uh, great for me to be able to take people on the, the same kind of journey that I went on um, uh, through that experience. Amazing. So, Nate, you actually... Uh, did you start out in acting? I'm kind of curious how you made the transition from acting to directing. You know, I, I sort of always did both. I mean, in, in high school, obviously, you know, you're not going to be directing, but uh, I, I ended up doing a lot of backstage work in high school. They, you know, they always need extra people to, to lend a hand in, in painting something or building something, so I always ended up just being that guy that was that was helpful in many ways. And then in college, actually, I started having to live two simultaneous paths because uh, at, the, at the time, I, do, I know now in, in the Claire Trevor um, school, they have um, uh, major, not necessarily a major, but a focus on design, like like I have my honors in acting. At the time, they didn't have an honors in set design or an honors mm. in directing. Um, my my uh, colleagues, or my colleagues, my roommates and I, were, they were the first ones to start the honors in directing program when I was there. And I think the year I left uh, was after they was when they started the honors in design program. Mm. Uh, but at the time, you just had to do what you could. So I, I, I would act a lot um, at UCI, but I would also spend as much time on other shows, designing sets and working on lights and, uh, and anything I could, and and I. It was so weird that uh, you know on on higher levels you weren't allowed to do both. You know, in the professional world, you can't uh, you can't act and then jump off to the side and then rig a light. Uh, <laughs> so uh, once I graduated, and I uh, me, I met up with my partner Brian. It was a natural fit that this level of theater is where I am most comfortable because I can still do everything. I can still um, be on stage and run everything and uh, do everything I want to. So um, it's uh, it's kind of a dream come true. That's that's uh that's wonderful. <laughs> so uh, the Hobbit production, you're you're sort of co-founder with Brian Newell, but mm -hmm. the question is, how did this Hobbit production get invented? I mean, who came up with the idea? It was Brian's idea first. It actually came about um, the year before, I suppose last year and around in April. Uh, I directed our production of Treasure Island. And that was another big fantasy show that had a lot of stage uh, combats, and uh, and I turned a couple of the characters into it, into uh, big, uh, into puppets, which I've always been interested in. And after the show was finished, Brian said, "Wow, that was really successful. What other shows can we can we do that fit that kind of niche that has fantasy elements that maybe you can make some puppets work?" And I said, "I don't know. I have no idea. Well, you know, throw some titles around." And he came back with me with The Hobbit, saying he knew there was uh, some scripts available out there. And I said, "Oh." The Hobbit's too big, uh, you know, we can't tackle The Hobbit. People are going to say, oh, they're getting too ambitious over there. You know, you just, it, that's, you know, it's too sacred territory, in my opinion, for <laughs> us to go towards. Um, but the more we started uh, kind of, you know, letting people whisper about it and see if they were interested, the more people all said, yes, no, mm. to it. This, this could be really amazing. And so, so I went back and I grabbed the, uh, the novel and I grabbed some available scripts and I started looking at it and I said, actually, you know what, this is... 
this is pretty possible. I mean, even when I went and reread the book, I was really shocked at a couple um, a couple times in the book where it almost seems like it was written uh, to my advantage to be able uh-huh. to put it on the stage. Like the fact that uh, Bilbo is, is knocked unconscious for the entirety of the Battle of Five Armies and that when he wakes up, Gandalf tells him about it. I'm like, no, that's perfect. That's, I clearly can't demonstrate a huge war on stage, but, you know, it was written as if yeah, I can show a little bit of the war and then knock him out. Oh, wow, I can't believe it. So yeah. uh, <laughs> there were so many things like that that just fell in my lap, I said, well, you know what, uh, uh, this, is, this is just destined to be done. So how long did it take from the time that you had the inspiration for this to, to come up with the new, you know, the new script to the adaptation? Uh, I, you know, it was almost a year from okay. from the, me picking up the novel again to when we opened the show. Um, I spent, uh, you know, three or four months uh, just working on the script and then doing read-throughs and making changes with some people. And then I started um, building some of the puppets early. Uh, and me and my, my, um, my current roommate, who played Golem and who also did the sound design, we started delving into the sound design early so that we actually had a lot of the show ready uh, before we started rehearsals, which was great mm-hmm. for our actors to be able to come in and, and see the design of the show and know where we're going already, and it made the entire process really smooth to have that much prep time. I, I have a quick uh, casting question, because sure. I know with The Lord of the Rings, uh, Elijah Wood went to great trouble because he wanted that role so badly, <laughs> uh-huh. and, and I know with the uh, works of J.R. Tolkien, there are people who just love this stuff so much that they would do anything to be able to be part of a cast. As you were casting for this uh, show, did you have people that just loved the work so much that they said, I always wanted to be able to be to do this, or was it just kind of like what, what was the casting? I was, I'm just oh, no, There was absolutely people like that. Um, there were some some people that just came out of the woodwork that had never done theater before of any kind that just said, I, I, wanted, I want to be a hobbit. You know, and um, the the guy who played um, Bilbo, Nick McGee, he, he was one of the, he was one of the first people I I cast. I've known him for long years. He actually went to UCI as well. He um, oh. he had honors in acting the year before me. We, we've been friends for a very long time, and I knew instantly that he was the only person I knew that was capable of, of handling Bilbo. So I cast him. Um, you know, before we signed on for the project, I said, Nick, if you're not on board for this, I don't think I can do it because he was born to play this role. Oh. But then, you know, we would, when we had auditions, even though we advertised that the role of Bilbo was taken, we still had people show up saying, I just want to be a Hobbit. I want to be anything. <laughs> um, there's one guy, a guy named Evan, um, who, uh, uh, you know, he's he just uh, he's a um, like a kind of a punk uh, band player. Um, the last guy in the world you'd think had a theatrical bone in his body mm-hmm. just showed up and said, I just want to be a troll. I love this. I love the book. I always loved the book when I was a kid. I just want to be a troll. And I said, all right. And so I cast him and he played one of the trolls and he played one of the goblins. And, and I mean, people like that who just come to volunteer and be part of it for the excitement of it, yes. I, I will always say yes to. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'll, have re- I'll have to remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Elf Princess, there is a quote from one of the letters in the, the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien, edited and selected by Humphrey Carpenter. In September of 1957, he writes to Rainer Unwin, who Unwin and Allen, the mm-hmm. publishers, there was a proposed script for The Lord of the Rings. And a part of that letter reads, this is Tolkien speaking to Rainer Unwin, an abridgment by selection with some good picture work would be pleasant and perhaps a worth a good deal in publicity. But the present script is rather a compression with resultant overcrowding and confusion, blurring of climaxes and general degradation. My question to you, Nate, is I've personally seen your production, and it avoids that horrible compression and degradation. (laughs) It's really wonderful. And So one of my questions is, how did you work with, and is it Patricia or Patricka Gray? Uh, Patricia Gray. Patricia Gray is credited with the adaptation, solely credited with the adaptation, and it's just it's just wonderful. I mean, the way that it integrates the story elements, I felt complete and fulfilled at the end of that two hours of pure pleasure. How did you work with Patricia? Well, um, Patricia actually, I mean, the script that, that we that we based off of is, is very old. Uh, it's, it's from the 60s, I believe. So we never had any interaction with Patricia. We, but she had she had written the script that was uh, that was authorized for theatrical use, and we actually did uh, end up 
um, uh, altering uh, quite a bit of that in order to make it do exactly what uh, you described, to make sure that we could condense and uh, keep some of the vision in there. So, um, so Patricia is credited for it, but we did end up uh, kind of using her script as a basis and merging with the text of uh, the novel. And Kalinda Gray, I assume no relationship. Uh, no, <laughs> surprisingly not. Kalinda Gray, Elf Princess, played this beautiful Elf Princess storyteller, oh. regal and authoritative and yet kindly mm-hmm. and with a bit of humor. Kalinda Gray did a wonderful job as a storyteller, and it was not a storyteller for children. It was like you were in Rivendell. It was like one of the Elf Princesses was retelling a tale and although children, I think, could appreciate this theater production, it was wonderfully adult in many ways. Mm. How how did that evolve? Was that in the original Patricia Gray script? How it it wasn't. That's, that was definitely the, the biggest change in, in the script was the addition of the storyteller, mm. um, specifically because, you know, when you read the book, you have such a sense of Tolkien just talking to you. And, he, and he's ha- you know, he has a sense of humor in the book. He makes jokes here and there. He you know, even, like, you know, comments on what the characters are doing as if, as if he didn't write them to do that, but it's still hilarious that they would act that way. Mm. Uh, and it's, it's got such a sense of humor and friendliness to telling the story. And uh, and that wasn't in the scripts. I thought that that was really necessary. A to get the feeling of the book appropriate, but B just as a as a, a plot driving device. It's mm-hmm. a lot easier to let the audience know where you're traveling from when you have a storyteller that's telling you, well, they went here, and and the, these things that we can't portray on stage. Let me describe them for you, so you can use your imagination. Uh, so um, that was the first thing that I knew I wanted to change. And initially, I thought, well, um, maybe I should have, find like an old. Uh, you know, male actor to sort of represent Tolkien. And the more we went on, the more I said, mm, I'm leaning towards this idea of the elf, or the, uh, the elf princess instead. And Kalinda is another friend of mine. She, um, she has, you know, she's very intimately connected with uh, the book. She loves um, the novel, and she has a lot of very personal references to the book in her own, in her own life. And, um, when I was talking about it with her, she basically jumped on board instantly. And I, and I, you know, she's done a lot of shows with us at the Maverick, and I knew that she would be a, a perfect fit for it. And she, you know, absolutely lived up to every second of potential and then some. And I must say, I see in the program notes that she was in the role of Ulla in The Producers. She and, was, yes. And it's amazing, Elf Princess, to see the transformation from just sort of a blonde bimbo role in The Producers <laughs> To this regal, authoritative, yet kindly storyteller uh, is an amazing thing for any actress oh, to absolutely. do. But I, I have one more question. Before the Elf Princess asks the music question, I know she's dying to ask. Actually, I have a, a, something that I wanted to ask about Kalinda, but go ahead. Oh, okay. go ahead. Go to Kalinda, and then we'll talk well, about I Gandalf. Just, I, I, it, all the more do I wish I could have seen this production when I realized that there was an Elf storyteller, because I have to tell you, for myself, one of the, my favorite parts of the movies is the prologue where Galadriel, yeah. is, you see the, the uh, last alliance of men and elves, you see the fall of Sauron, you know, this like 15 minutes. And it's funny because I have had seen that so many times. At one point I was walking out, um, <clears throat> actually out in a forest and was reciting some of it and I realized that I loved it so much I actually had had the entire prologue memorized <laughs> word for word. But it's just... Uh, so I'm very excited. I don't think I've seen any other thing where you have uh, any other production, like even the parody or whatever. They didn't have this um, <clears throat> kind of a storyteller. <clears throat> but I think that what um, Kate Blanchett did, uh, because you get the whole, almost, you know, this whole history in a sense of, of, right. that's drawn from the Silmarillion, the history of Middle Earth, with through the narration of Gladriel. So <clears throat> I wish, do you, did you, did you? Video or well, film, before any we, parts of Before this we get production? to that, I want to get back. There's future stuff we're going to ask uh, you about, Nate, but let's get back to the uh, past for a minute. <laughs> okay. One of the thrilling parts of the production for me as far as the casting was Brian Page as Gandalf. Mm. Mm, yes. And I looked at him and I said, you know, after the, after the thing was over, I said, he was so good as Gandalf. He was completely different than Ian McKellen, and yet his approach to the role was so right for The Hobbit. And my question to you, Nate, is is how much of that is you and he working together, you and he purposely avoiding Ian McKellen or ignoring Ian McKellen and the movies, or just 
uh, how did you approach the the role characterization of Gandalf on on the, in the theater? You know, we surprisingly never really came too often to the point where we would compare what we were doing to the movies. Uh, even just now thinking about it, I'm surprised that that didn't come up more often. Um, but we really just took it from this is, you know, as if we are doing this for the first time. And what Brian brought to uh, to this, the stage, which is what he brought to the auditions and why I liked him initially, was he just brought this very grounded sensibility, which is what I always saw Gandalf to be. So I think that uh, as far as what we both were looking for for Gandalf, we just saw eye to eye from the start. Um, I was so happy, actually, when uh, when you last broadcast about this, uh, when you mentioned that about Brian, because uh, the only, like, sort of negative review we ever got in any comments about the show was that a couple of reviewers said that they, they thought that Gandalf was not wizardly enough. And I was like, oh, no, this, this isn't Harry Potter. He's not Dumbledore. You know, he's not, <laughs> you know, flying around. This, this wizard, you know, he's, he's very, uh, you know, a serious and grounded person who knows what he's doing. He's sort of, uh, in many ways, I see him like as if he's playing chess. He knows that these pieces of the puzzle will work if he, if he sets Bilbo off just in the right direction at this exact time, uh, and then he he disappears in hopes that his, you know, that what he thinks will happen will come come true. Uh, he, but he's not, you know, if he could fly around and make spells that could save the day, he would. But he's not that guy. So he is a far more um, serious character, I think, than. Um, oh, well, That's there? right. Are you there, Nate? Oop, did we lose him? <clears throat> Nate, are you there? <laughs> Nate, if you are listening, please call us back because we may have lost you. We just lost you at the end of that last sentence. Um, while we're waiting for Nate to call back in, uh, it's interesting because there. I was just reading. I can't find it right now at my fingertips, but I was reading in The Lord of the Rings um, where I believe it's where uh, Gandalf is talking to either to Aragorn or Pippin, and he says, you know, the board is set and the pieces are in place. And he's he's talking. He's even referring to the events that are happening as though it's kind of like a chess, chess type of um, situation. Hobbit, you have a funny look on your face. Yes, uh, Nate, are you there? I'm I think, afraid we may have lost Nate. I think we may have. I'm not sure if something may have happened on his end. It doesn't look like anything happened on our end. So, Nate, if if you want to give us a call back, that would be great. We'll we'll look for so, you calling back. Our, in case you are just tuning in, this is what would Arwen do on every Thursday from four to five p.m. with Milo Lomsdown and me, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf, Tony Tenuviel. Our guest today is Nathan McCarrick, who is the found one of the co-founders and of the Maverick Theater, where they recently had the beautiful production of the Hobbit. And we are very um, just delighted to have him with us here today. Nate, are you back? I am back. How far did you hear in my Gandalf rant before I disappeared? Um, well, you heard the, all the way up to the point where you're saying that he's quite a serious All the way to the point where you said that he's quite a serious character. Ah, um, did, I, did I talk about how he's not Dumbledore? He's right. not Dumbledore, <laughs> yeah. you said that, yes. <laughs> yeah, so that was one of the things, uh, yeah, just that I, I, he's such a more serious character in The Lord of the Rings, I'm, I'm sorry, in The Hobbit. You, you don't see him being nearly as playful as you do in Lord of the Rings. Mm. Uh, and if you just read the book without that idea in your head, I just don't think you, you get that impression of him being this uh, flighty, wizardy character that, um, that, that you know, sometimes the public imagines Gandalf to be. Well, it was it was thrilling in its originality and absolutely right. I felt well. The the elf princess is dying to ask about what's what's the future. First of yes. all, do you have a DVD, a CD? You know, when I went to the box office, I said, uh, "Can I have all the trinkets? I want a T-shirt. I want a a, a, a mug." I, and there were no trinkets. There were no pins. There were no right. nothing. And so the question is, did anyone? Uh, record this and maybe releasing a DVD, or, or what do we do? Well, technically, we're not allowed to uh, sell DVDs. You're not allowed to sell DVDs of theatrical performances mm. because you would have to then uh, make sure you're still compensating uh, the writer uh, somehow, and so that's just generally uh, not something that's done unless you get 
prior authorization in the theatrical world. That being said, well, yes, of course I recorded it. Uh, and, um, and I'm, I'm actually in the process right now of, kind of, I filmed it with a couple of angles and I'm, I'm editing it together because I always like to give them uh, a souvenir copy to everyone in my cast. So you're allowed to have what's called an archival um, copy uh, is what theaters are allowed to do of their own shows. But they're not allowed to sell them or technically give them away. So I do have a copy and, well, at least I will uh, in another couple of weeks when I'm finished editing. And perhaps I could loan it to you, um, <laughs> but uh, but there's there's no you can't you're not really allowed to make money off of it that way. Right, the rights you've paid for are already gone. Well, we would we would be delighted if only. I mean, it's not the same as the live thing because there was an electricity in that room, Elf Princess. Oh, absolutely, I'm sure it was. And, and the troll scene and the barrel scene. I couldn't believe. <laughs> and then the transformation, the the opening of the theater piece after Kalinda, you know, after the storyteller does some talking the opening is in is in bilbo's home and that that round door is transformed into a rampart during the course and and Gollum and the trolls it's just wonderful but let's talk about the future nate because <laughs> is there a rumor that you might be bringing the hobbit back sometime in the future there is a rumor uh, and, it, and it will very likely happen this is one of those few shows that um we had uh, Enormous success. Every single show we had was oversold. We we sat people in the aisles every time. Uh, there was a couple of shows where I had where I had complete strangers sit in the sound booth with me just because it was an available chair, you know, and they could stare out the window to see it. Uh, so aside from the, uh, you know, the, the boon of the theater to be able to have that, um, you know, have a, a successful show come back, it was also just so loved. Everyone loved it, and everyone it just brought people who don't normally come and see theater to the theater. Uh, and also there was, this is one of the few times uh, in any show I've worked on where we had such a, a very massive magical, close bond between the cast and the crew and everyone who worked. Um, mm-hmm. You know, shows come and go, and a lot of people who work in a lot of shows, they you, you do a show, and it's fun, but then when it's over, it's over. But this, I mean, like we were literally crying on closing night because no one wanted to see it go. We'd run it for seven weekends, but if we could have done it for seven years. So everyone... Everyone was asking, when are you going to do this again? When are you going to do this again? You have to bring it back. And so we thought, well, you know, if the, mo- if the movie comes out in 2012, it's going to be, you know, right on everyone's lips again. Maybe 2012 is a good time, you know, after, you know, a year and a half or so off to bring it back. So Absolutely. right now it is potentially on uh, the slate for early uh, 2012. Maybe January. Uh, we'll see uh, when we get more of our other shows lined up next year. But it, it is almost definitely going to be coming back. Well, this we is. Will, go ahead. Go ahead. We will certainly, certainly be in touch with you, um, <laughs> because I will be so excited, and I'm um, very excited to to take a look at that archival copy. But also, <laughs> just because um, I, I know you have some other wonderful things coming up at the Maverick Theater, yes. And, and being elves and hobbits, especially elves who love to support the arts yeah. in <laughs> any way, and especially getting people into live performances, uh, especially it sounds like this wonderful venue that you have there in. Fullerton, uh, you have a couple of things so coming up intermi- just this week, just well, this, it's, this it's month. It's wonderful, you know, we're getting into the Halloween period, and, and on this program in a couple of weeks we'll have our Halloween uh, and ghouls and goblins show, but uh, they're doing things like Night of the Living Dead That's from right. October 1st to October 31st, and also there is a musical... If I if I recall correctly, zombie love you gotta love it, you know. Is that correct? <laughs> I love I a love musical. Zombie stuff. Yeah. So please, uh, Nate, thank you. I'm going to back announce the information on the Maverick Theater. But thank you so much for joining us and oh, thank you for and sharing me. your time with us. And we will wish you a very very great Hobbit and Elvish uh, day. And I look, forward, I look forward to someday getting to meet you, and then when that happens, I can say, Alim Salalumin Amentielvo, a star shines on the hour of our meeting. <laughs> oh, you, you, you will also be very glad to know that our, our storyteller, Kalinda, she, she spoke true Elvin, and any time she had to whisper something in Elvin, she made sure it was accurate. So. Yay, that makes me happy. <laughs> well, thanks again, Nate. Uh, appreciate you joining us. Thank you. I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. 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 And uh, that, was that was Nathan so McCarrick, uh, co-founder, co-director of the Maverick Theater in Fullerton. For more information, you can go to www.mavericktheater.com, and their phone number is 
888-253-7070. Again, the website is www.mavericktheater.com. And they have this uh, wonderful um, thing going on in the month of October for Halloween, you know, Halloween type of thing, Friday and Saturday night at 8 p.m., uh, Night of the Living Dead, and then Friday, October 8th, uh, through the 30th on Friday and Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Right after that is Zombie Love the Musical. So that sounds like a real kick. Just, just <clears throat> and a so wonderful we're almost thing. at the end of our we're time. almost at the end and, of our time. And we, and we have some important announcements. We have some movie news, do we not? Yeah, just quickly, uh, many of us are aware that Martin Freeman, this is from the OneRing.net mm-hmm. uh, posted by Earl. Many of us are aware that Martin Freeman was the first choice to play the role of Bilbo Baggins, right? He is famous as uh, Dr. John Watson in the Sherlock uh, teleseries. Well, he was interviewed by Empire Online, and this is, what Mar- this, is, this is directly from the mouth of Martin Freeman. He says, quote, I did have to say no to it to play Bilbo Baggins in the upcoming Hobbit films for the second series of Sher- Sherlock. But if something could be worked out, that would be great. I turned down the role with a heavy heart, definitely. If there is any outside possibility of finding a way to fit The Hobbit into his schedule, then that would be great. But I've learned not to think too much or hope too much about this stuff. It will happen if it happens. <laughs> he goes on to say he could definitely play a young Ian Holm. As we know in the movies, in Lord of the Rings, Ian Holm played Bilbo yes. so brilliantly. And uh, So... <clears throat> We do have some things coming up uh, also in the next couple of weeks. We, well, first we have uh, we'll, we have a ticket giveaway coming up in just a moment, and we'll give right. the phone number that people can call. I'll let you tell what that's about. Right. Um, I do want to also let our listeners know that we've got some really fun programs coming up in the next couple of weeks. Two weeks we'll be having talking about the dark creatures of Middle Earth, you know, for celebrating Halloween and things of that nature. But also next week we'll be talking about um, the children, <laughs> you know, it's, there are lots of children in Middle Earth, and our guests are going to be uh, Dr. Suzanne Tang and Tina Yang, uh, who are doing a um, seminar about having how to have healthy babies, and if you're having trouble having healthy babies, how to have a, a healthy pregnancy. So we're going to be talking about some of the children of Middle Earth that a lot of times people don't hear about. Of course, you know, we see how much Sam uh, and Rosie loved little Eleanor, Eleanor, and... Uh, so we'll be talking about uh, kind of a fun show on, on healthy babies. That will be a, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing to participate in. There's so much, uh, so much. Children bring such delight into our lives. They and, do. of course, The Hobbit was written originally for children. And then, of course, we have the wonderful book that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote, uh, The Letters of Father Christmas, who his uh, daughter-in-law, Bailey Tolkien, um, brought all together for us. Right. So we have a giveaway, though, because we are the Hobbit and the Elf who love to celebrate films. Yes, uh, The Hobbit is a long, long movie, movie-loving fan. And as you may or may not know, Elf Princess, there is a brand new film festival in Southern California. I just heard about this. This is the very, very, very first year. Mm-hmm. And actually, I had gone down to visit them three months ago when they were starting up in the process to see to what extent I could help. And sadly, my schedule and theirs didn't jive. But the Anaheim International Film Festival, the first Anaheim International Film Festival, is going to be from October 13th to 17th. So it starts tomorrow. And we have October 13th. Compliments and, of and th- KUCI. And thanks to KUCI, we have AIFF screening vouchers. Good from Thursday, October 14th to Sunday, October 17th. Redeemable for one screening ticket at the Ultra Star Cinemas in the Anaheim Garden Walk. We have two of these. So it's basically two tickets to some program from October 14th to 17th. So you don't get to go to opening night right. for free, but you can go to something else. And if people would are interested in that, they need to give us a call, 949 949- Eight two four five eight two four nine four nine UCI KUCI again nine four nine eight two four five eight two four and we will be picking up the phone so one of us will be available to answer the phone if you want to give us a call we would be happy to uh, pop those in the mail to you and you should have them easily by Thursday and uh, plenty of time still to take in uh, so we want to thank the Anaheim Film Festival people as well as our promotions person here for bringing this together and KUCI. 
So for those who are just tuning in, this is KCI. This is What Would Arwen Do? A Middle Earth Perspective on Life, Community, and the Arts. And it looks like we already have a caller. That was a, that was a popular popular thing. At least at least someone's listening. <laughs> so uh, so thank you. And for those all all of you who are listening, my heart is that you would discover what your passion is in life and do whatever you can to bring that passion to enrich not only your own life but the lives of others because every single one of us has that creative bent. <laughs> <laughs> that creative gift. Uh, so, yes, we're very excited that someone has called in. Please come back next week. We will be back with What Would Arwen Do? Another Middle Earth perspective on life, community, and the arts. And Dear Hobbit, who was that? That was a quick phone call. That was very quick. That was from Lauren Robinson in Irvine. And she says, hello, Tani. One of my yogi friends, she's out, well, yeah, she's out uh, just about ready, I think, to tre- teach a class in a few minutes out in Irvine. Thank you, Lauren. That's wonderful. And she'll get those two tickets. How exciting. Well, well Elf Princess, guess what? Adventure, another <laughs> adventure has come and gone, but there are many more adventures to look forward to. There are so many exciting and wonderful things happening here at KUCI. Again, thank you for listening live on KUCI FM 88.9 Irvine, or on the internet at KUCI.org, or via podcast at KUCITalk.org, or What Would Arwen Do is available on iTunes as well for free download. And do not forget that, as Bilbo says, it's a dangerous business stepping outside your door. It is. <laughs> so be expect unexpected adventures. And for all those those of you that are now calling into the radio station, the tickets have already been given away. We only had that one pair to give away. Sorry. But thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you, you for, for listening. Calling. Yes, thank you for listening. Thank you for calling in. The world is full of wonderful people. <laughs> and wonderful music. Will yes. you uh, will you announce our final selection? You know what? I think we should I think we should play another one of those um the mock ups. Another mock-up? Yeah, or oh even the one, gosh. even the one that we played before. That was wonderful. It's just a, almost like a different version of the uh, soundtrack recording for Concerning Hobbits. Concerning Hobbits. This is the Hobbit music from The Lord of the Rings, the, the book, The Music of The Lord of the Rings by Doug Adams. He was invited in 2001 to observe the composing process with... Howard Shore, and is a musicologist, and the beautiful book. I'll describe it more at length when we get to our music yes. show, but it is a beautiful, substantial, gorgeous book with this extra CD bound into the rear cover. Yay. And we're going to hear now the original Hobbit music, the first music. This was the very first music composed for The right. Rings, right. The Lord right. of the Rings. And thanks again for everyone listening. This is KUCI Irvine. We're going to end with this wonderful music from Howard Shore, the mock-up of the Hobbit music, the first music composed and what would become Concerning Hobbits. Until next week, Namariya. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 